Hello and welcome to the second episode of this series of Giggle Waters. A podcast brought to you by SG Voice and Energy Voice Out Loud in paid partnership with Orsted. These discussions are leading the global energy conversation, examining offshore wind and the role that it's going to play in helping Scotland to its goal of net zero by 2045. The goal for Scotland is not only to help the energy transition, but to unlock billions in investment in Scotland, not just in terms of individual projects, but in terms of overall innovation, growth and sustainable development. Scotland is a huge opportunity to both develop low carbon energy and to build a strong economic future in ways that are beneficial to local communities, to the environment and to Scotland as a whole, as it transitions from an economy driven by hydrocarbons to a new lower carbon reality. And that needs to happen within a wider discourse about sustainability and the importance of a just transition. I'm Felicia Jackson, the editor of Energy Voice's sister publication, Sustainable Growth Voice. And joining me today is my co-host, Ben Sykes, who is the Head of Environment, Consenting and External Affairs at Orsted. Our special guest for this episode is Claire Kanakides, Head of Network Support at Onside, a national charity that works on supporting young people in discovering their passion and purpose. Claire is also trustee on the board of the new Youth Zone in Grimsby, named Horizon by local young people, and which is being supported by Orsted. Thank you both for joining me today. I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting discussion. We recently had a report in March from the IPCC warning that we've got a really short window of opportunity for action if we're going to meet the climate challenge. But the thing that's going to be so important is making sure that we get this action right. So to come to you first, Bench, one of the things we really need to unpack is what good looks like for the project. What's it going to take to get us where we need to be? That's such a big question. How long have we got? There's no doubt that at the core of this has to be financial sustainability. These projects need to be able to deliver fair returns. Uh, That's what will draw in the billions of pounds of investment that we need to see to switch to a greener economy. But it has to go much further than that. Uh, The IPCC has been very clear that we need to take action quickly. But as we undertake our build out of offshore wind in the UK and indeed globally, we've got to make sure that we take our communities with us and that we use offshore wind as a force to improve both social sustainability and environmental sustainability. There's no way that we're going to build out to the pace that's required or to the scale that's required if we don't crack both of those nuts at the same time as delivering projects that deliver on the bottom line too. And Claire, I mean, I'd be really interested in your take because one of the things we know in terms of the amount of work that needs to be done is the enormous challenge there's going to be in skills and retraining, but also the idea that young people can get excited about the opportunity for being part of some kind of fundamental change. What do you see as as the importance for for young people in this sort of project? So there's two things that I see, Fee. So one side is for young people to see the whole range of career options that are available to them. And many of them, particularly young people that attend youth zones, um, that that on-site support across the country, may never have considered careers or, or jobs in renewable energy is thinking that it's not the kind of thing that people like them go into. Um, youth zones are typically situated in areas of quite high deprivation and poverty and young people there, by the time they get to teenagers, have lowered their aspirations and and, and not looking at, at those kind of um, more technical type careers. But then the other side of it is young people believing that employers like renewable and sustainable uh, technologies would be interested in in them. So there was a recent Youth Voice census towards the end of 2022 
which showed that 51% of young people aged 19 and above believed their mental health and specifically anxiety was their biggest barrier to work. But also what I feel is more um, was more startling as a fact was that less than a third of young people think that employers are actually supportive of hiring them. So that there's two sides to the to the challenge, I think, that we need to look at there. And just jumping in, you know, Claire, I think that's absolutely spot on. We, we've got to raise uh, belief and aspiration. People talk a lot about aspiration, but we need to demonstrate that we, Orsted, companies like ours, absolutely do want to engage with the widest possible range of people from across society. Um, We want to be inclusive, we want to be diverse, and in particular, we want to show people, uh, while they're students at school, particularly in that sort of early teens and even earlier, we need to show them that, yeah, they have a really exciting future. And I think it's also really important to recognise as well that a company like Orsted has a lot of engineers, but it has a lot of other people too. Um, And what we need to do is excite people about what we do and why we do it. The specific jobs, everything from HR to finance to you name it, you know, like any business, we've got tons of jobs in all different disciplines. We need to inspire to to show that this is a, a sector that people can work in. Uh, and there's there's plenty of different opportunities once you're in. Absolutely. And, and also support young people once they're in those jobs to maintain them, to succeed in them. And that needs a level of investment in young people. Like you said, early teenagers, if not younger, around their soft skills, so their self-belief, their determination, their resilience. So they're not just supported into a job, but they're supported to stay in that job and to succeed. I think there's something really interesting here about giving people a sense of agency and a sense of power for change. Because I think one of the things that comes out a lot when addressing climate change, the need for renewables, is that sense people feel of not having the power to make a difference. And I think there's an interesting element here combining the lessons we can learn from how we deal with young people with actually how we deal with different industries and how we integrate across these different groups. What, what are your thoughts on that? So just coming back to your first point, you know, about giving people agency, I think that is so vital and it does need to start early on uh, in, in the schoolroom, in the classroom and, and uh, while people are still forming their views about who they are and what they want to be. You know, uh, the work that we're doing with Claire and her organisation with Horizon is just so exciting. It's going to really give an opportunity to open up Horizons, hence the name, for uh, so many young people in the Grimsby area. I'm super excited about that. And, you know, as well as um, communities that we need to engage, there are there are demographics we need to engage with as well. And, you know, we want to make sure that we see a better gender balance encouraging women and young young women and girls into this space. In terms of your question around moving between industries, there are many, many industries employing people that we would love to bring into the renewable sector. Obviously, oil and gas is a big one, and there are many skills in the oil and gas sector, whether they're technical, commercial or other, that are very, very relevant to what we're doing in the renewables sector. So, um, you know, our door is open. And, and building on that point, Benj, and you talked there about um, teachers and schools equipping young people with that sense of agency. I think it goes much further than that. And I think the kind of support that young people can have through attending things like youth clubs or youth zones, um, working with trained youth workers, 
having those high quality supportive relationships, you know, adult positive role models in their life. Young people have all that they need within them to succeed, but they might not always know that it's in there and have the self-belief to really go for it. So from building those trusting relationships and having someone to support them as they're preparing to transition into adulthood, preparing to transition into um, permanent employment, it can really set young people up to succeed in a completely different way. It's a really interesting idea here because it sounds like you're talking about an almost ecosystem of education, that it's not just about in one place and at one time, but in taking a completely new approach to how you look at you know, how young people get into the workforce. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do at Horizon and, and the role it plays and perhaps, you know, how that could be played out in different areas? Yeah, so Horizon isn't open yet, um, but we have 14 very similar youth zones across the country which are open. So each youth zone provides open access youth club facilities for young people. So what that means is that any young person within the age bracket, which for us is 8 to 19 or up to 25 with additional needs, can attend youth club sessions and they can walk through the doors. They don't have to have a certain set of criteria to qualify or be eligible. And they can engage in high quality activities with their friends in a safe, supportive environment surrounded by youth workers. And that as you were talking there about different ecosystems of education, it's informal education for young people away from the constraints of school, which for some young people might not be a positive experience. It's somewhere they can choose to go through of their own free will. They can stay for half an hour. They might stay for three hours. They might stay in one room all evening. They might do four or five different activities, sports, arts, craft, multimedia, do you know a whole load of things. Um, but it's a completely different environment and supports their development in a really different way to the way that formal education and, and classroom-based learning does. Um, Benj, one of the things that obviously Allstead has to deal with with the amount of development that's going on is, you know, understanding the environmental implications, the biodiversity issues. I'm just wondering, Claire, does, does the project uh, teach children about these different things? How, how does this relationship play out? Well, as a major donor of Horizon Youth Zone, there's already a very close link between Ersted and, and the, we've got a small group of young people's development, uh, we call it the Young People's Development Group, who are engaged in the project so far. Once the doors are open and Horizon is working with, you know, probably 3,000 young people a year, that relationship will have so much potential to partly educate in, in, in that informal way. So, um, letting people, letting young people know more about the environmental agenda, sustainable technologies, showcasing the work that Ursula do in the town, which is already well known to many parts of the community, but perhaps not to young people so much, um, as well as talking to them about potential careers, which in a town like Grimsby, which so many people have negative perceptions around employment prospects, it's a complete game changer for young people. If if they can really truly understand um, and believe that those kind of careers might be available for them. What's really interesting to me about that is almost the sense that you're opening up young people's minds to the possibilities of what the future might bring. But in the same way, I think there's some really, th this is about lessons learned and how you share that. And there's some really interesting uh, work around the just transition, Benj, because I know we've talked about this before. 
lessons that can be learned from other countries, from other approaches in how we move things forward in a positive way. Can you talk to that at all? Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, what we're trying to do really is break new ground here. Um, there is a lot that we can learn, and I think that's both in terms of how we should address both the social and environmental agendas as we build out, um, but also you know, what to do, what not to do. I think what's becoming increasingly clear is that um, the generation that's coming along behind me um, is absolutely fired up about some of these bigger issues. We need to help them understand both how those issues are playing out, and I'm talking about the impacts uh, of human activity on the climate and on biodiversity and the health of the environment. We also need to, as we've used this word before, give them the sense of agency. What we, what we aren't about is saying, look, it's all doom and gloom. What we're saying is, come and engage in this renewable sector. We are going to help with you solve some of these problems. And I think that's what really opens up people's minds. We have to demonstrate uh, that as an industry, we are the place to go to and that we welcome people from all backgrounds, people uh, with all different experiences. We need it, not only welcome it. Um, but we hear more and more that the concerns around environment and concerns around climate uh, are weighing heavily on, on younger people. Um, and what we need to do is turn that around into the sense of agency to come and be part of the solution. And are there ways in which Orsted is developing? Um, I recognise you work around the environment and external affairs and consenting in all sorts of different areas. But how does that play out in, in how you work with local communities, for example, when we're looking at the development of these offshore projects? So we at Orsted, we do a lot of engagement with local communities. It, it's part of the development process, part of the uh, permitting process anyway. But we've always prided ourselves in being a good member of the local community where we operate. And Claire's talked about some of the stuff that uh, we've been doing and continue to do in Grimsby. Uh, Grimsby is a really important place for us. We have um, getting on for 500 people working at our operations base in Grimsby and, and many more in the supply chain around. So um we, we've got a number of initiatives. We've talked about Youth Zone. We're also supporting the, the Ron Deering UTC to scale up by 200 places. Quite a few different initiatives. Uh, wider than that, though, we also um, are very committed to our community benefit, benefit funds, which is a way in which we engage with communities on a slightly broader scale so that we can provide what those communities need through funding. Um, and today, Orsted has put over £8 million through our community benefit funds on the East Coast and the West Coast of the UK. And that, of course, includes uh, the, the North East Links and, and East Yorkshire region. Um, and that's funding all kinds of different things, um, really driven by what the communities need. And I think that support to the community is really important. So two sides to this. One is engaging people as we develop projects to make sure we bring them along with us. And of course, we know as we build projects, it creates some disruption and we want to make sure that we listen to and respond to uh, local communities' needs. But then we want to stay with those communities through the lifetime of the wind farm. And that's what our Community Benefit Fund is there to deliver. And I think it's interesting when you listen to young people talk um, now about what's important to them. It's absolutely the environment agenda and very values-driven. Young people are looking for connection. They're looking for communities. They're not necessarily attracted for by um, traditional careers for life. They want to work somewhere where they feel 
they belong and they're valued and they're contributing. Um, so the, the work that Ørsted do with communities is so valuable in, in bringing those opportunities to, to young people in particular, but also aligning with what they're looking for. I think that's right. And, and you know, we, we want to engage in all parts of the community. So we've talked about some of the demographic um, that the Horizon Project will support. We talked about Ron Deering. We also work with Teach First um, across a range, a range of ages as well. So I think I think for us, it's really important that we engage with the widest possible uh, range of people across the community. We don't want to feel that anyone is being left behind in this uh, just transition. It's just, but it's not just for a few, it's for everyone. And I think that's a fascinating idea that we're looking at business, we're looking at economic growth as, as, a, as a channel for the implementation of values that matter to society as a whole. You know, do, do you see this as a, a big shift? You know, obviously... Renewables has that has that advantage of, you know, it's helping to save the world. That's obviously moving everything in the right direction. But do you see this as part of a, of a wider move in society to look at jobs, at development in a completely different way? Wow. Well, <laughs> I, I'm no sociologist, um, but I would like to think so. Um, the green transition is a huge opportunity to reshape our economy and the jobs uh, and livelihoods that that creates. Um, I think there is, as you said earlier, this need to have a sense of purpose. Um, I certainly feel that very strongly in, in people that I speak to who are think, thinking what are they going to do with their careers. Uh, and the why is becoming more important than perhaps it was a generation ago. Uh, the what is still important, and it is important that we are providing meaningful, enjoyable, challenging uh, jobs in, in which people can grow and develop. But that the purpose behind those jobs, I think, has become more important. And I think we've got to get that message out that um, because, you know, this industry is going to grow hugely. Scotwind, uh, if you look at the scale of Scotwind, the number of jobs that that is going to create is potentially huge if we get this right. Uh, and we've got to find that workforce and we've got to encourage people to come and join the party, as it were, um, so that we can we can build that workforce and create those jobs and build the supply chains, the businesses uh, that will create a lasting economic and social uh, benefit for Scotland and, and across the UK. That's a wonderful goal to have and, and I think incredibly important and does speak to a lot of the discussions that are going on at the moment about you know how we build, how we develop. I think that's a great note on which we can take a break. We'll be back after this short message. Orsted is one of the world's largest renewable energy companies. With more than 30 years of experience, they are the global leader in offshore wind. With 6.2 gigawatts already installed across the UK, but they're just getting started and hope to invest a further £12 billion in Scotland alone in the next decade. They are taking tangible action to create a world which runs entirely on green energy leveraging their capabilities and insights to help countries and companies in their green transformations as they accelerate the fight against climate change together. Follow the journey at orsted.co.uk. I'm very interested in, in how this will play out on an environmental level, because obviously one of the issues is not just looking at how to bring in young people, but how you deal with communities that are perhaps working in areas that are at odds with this kind of development. I'm thinking perhaps about how 
fishing goes hand in hand with offshore wind development. How do you deal with those kinds of challenges? So there are many dimensions to your question, of course, in terms of human coexistence, as we would call it. Um, our social license to operate means that we want to work very closely with the fishing communities. Um, and in particular, we're very aware that um, those kind of inshore fishing communities who are maybe creelers going out collecting crab and lobster uh, in relatively small boats, uh, we need to make sure that, that those um, those individuals, those small businesses are helped through this energy transition in terms of the impact that our projects may have on them. And I think, again, you know, we want to work closely and we do work closely uh, with those fishing communities. But I think it, it, it does go much wider than that in terms of, um, let's face it, one of the biggest challenges that's facing the North Sea right now is the impacts of climate change. So, I think there is an imperative that we press ahead with with Scotwind and with the wider build out of clean energy, both in the marine environment, but elsewhere as well. But we need to do that in a way that restores the environment, not impacts it more negatively. Um, the state, environmental state of the North Sea in particular is the product of decades, if not centuries of human activity that hasn't really paid much attention to environmental health of the seas. So what we want to do in Orsted is to make sure that we engage with local communities and we work uh, with coastal communities in particular to help start restore some of the environment. And we've, we're currently doing a great project down in the Humber where we're planting seagrass, we're restoring salt marsh, we're creating an artificial, uh, sorry, a natural reef with, with oysters. Um, and that is working with local communities, with the local wildlife trust. We think it's really important as a user of the sea to show that we can make sure that our environmental footprint is a positive one, not a negative one. And by the way, you know, it's really important that we do this. Something like 80% of the build out of offshore wind globally is going to be floating probably from now on. It's going to be huge. And whether it's floating or fixed bottom, we need to show that we can do this in harmony with nature. Three billion people around the world rely on the seas for their well-being and living. So it's imperative as an industry that we find those solutions to engage with those communities uh, and work with them to provide environmental as well as socioeconomic outcomes that work for them. And that, I think, is one of the key things is that there's a lot of discussion about climate change and the need for a low-carbon transition but sometimes the sustainable development goals and sustainability get a little bit left behind. That idea that, you know, there is a way of doing things that can build back better, I suppose, for lack of a better phrase. But So you're talking about the work you're doing on the coastline. And I'm thinking about that in terms of the impact, not just on fishing, but on flood defences and, and the way in which the system as a whole works. And this brings me back to my earlier thought about lessons that can be learned, because we're learning from nature how to work with nature. We're learning from young people how to engage. And I'm just thinking, Claire, are there lessons you've learned from working with young people that you could see could be used to help encourage other people to get involved in this kind of work? Involved in um, working with young people? Involved in renewables, involved in the environment, involved in looking at things in a systemic way, perhaps. Yeah, I think... You know, sometimes as we go through life, we can get a bit caught up in our, our own life and our role and sometimes also doubt the impact that we can have more widely. But I, I personally, not just professionally, truly believe in the contribution that any person can make to another person, but also to the community around them. 
um, and the absolute value that that can have, whether that's somebody who's volunteering in a youth club, whether that's somebody who's championing the renewable sector or the green agenda locally in their community or taking it on professionally um, to, to that that level as well. We all have our role to play and that ecosystem, that fabric that you were talking about before, it's by everybody having their own little role and contributing in that way that the fabric all comes together. I have to say that's amazing to listen to. It's really inspiring because I think there is, it, no matter what stage of life you're at, you still have that desire for purpose. So that, that idea that each small action can have an impact further down the line is, I think, incredibly important. One thing, uh, just jumping in, um, we've talked a lot about youth and I think that's really important that we have. But I think it's really important to recognise that you're never too old to make the transition to green. I mean, I, I did my transition, I spent 20 years in the oil industry before moving into renewables. And so I think it's really important that we, you know, of course we need to focus on those coming through the education system, those who may have fallen out of the education system and bringing them in, helping them feel that they can be part of the solution to the, the challenges we face and getting excited about that. But I think the same applies to people uh, at all points in their career journey. It's never too late to make that move. And, you know, we, we are not only working uh, in the in the youth space, in the educational uh, period of people's lives, but also those falling out of other sectors, whether that's oil and gas or in a particular focus for us, those coming out of the military, looking for where do they go, having spent maybe a decade or more uh, working in the forces. So, you know, let's not forget that we we need to bring people in with experience as well as people who are building their career from the bottom um, we need everyone. Yeah, thank you for that, Bench, because I think that is something, it's easy to get caught up in, in a conversation, uh, you know, about potential. But I think it, it is a fundamental thing that everybody has to be part of the transition, that it's not something that will work if, if people feel left behind or if they feel there's not a place for them. Because I think what we're really talking about is there are all these opportunities. There is, you know, there's a wealth of experience in different places. And I suppose my question would be, when we're trying to develop those opportunities for people, what is it that we need to look for and how do we actually make it happen? Sorry, I'm, bi I'm big on the big questions this afternoon. Yeah, that is a, <laughs> that is a really massive question. Um, where to start? So I think it is about initiatives like what we're doing with Horizon. So you need practical tools to engage with people, whether that is um, through things like Horizon, Mission Renewables, all these different programs. They are well set up to give um, businesses like Orsted the opportunity to engage. Um, but I think there's, a, there's also something about who we are as a company, and it doesn't just go for Orsted, but it's about the kind of um, persona that we are um, if you look at big industry, big industry doesn't generally have a great reputation. And I think what we want to do is to lead the way in showing that you can be a big multinational global energy company and you can be likable. You can actually be a place that people think, oh, that looks like a great place to work rather than some big steamroller behemoth that's going to flatten all before it. You know, we want to make sure that we are uh, responsible and responsive towards our our 
communities where we operate, all of our, I don't like the word, but stakeholders, you know, and I think we really passionately want to make sure that we don't lose that sense of that spirit of adventure, spirit of um, breaking new ground, because I think that becomes very appealing. Uh, again, not just to youth, but a- across all age demographics, actually. Definitely. I mean, it speaks to me and I'm definitely not a youth anymore. No comment. <laughs> Claire, what's your take on this? I think sometimes it can feel the green agenda particularly can feel so overwhelming. You don't know where to start. And I think the important thing is to start in some way that feels meaningful for you and to contribute whether that's something that might feel quite small scale or you know, whether it's getting involved with a local campaigning group, whether it's something quite simple like thinking about the batteries you use and what plastic bags or whether actually it's a bigger contribution, but actually doing something and doing it now. That's, that's the important thing and mobilising people to do things now so that actually we can really you know galvanize the increasing momentum around the green agenda and keep moving people it it does feel like a movement for me to keep moving people forward to keep raising awareness and and have people in action and that way that we're going to get a real um surge towards real change what i actually love about that is in a sense the two of you come from very different perspectives in terms of the spectrum of of where business operates and where young people operate and yet what we're really talking about is a story of opportunity built into shared prosperity, you know, that that shared future. And I think that that's a very exciting opportunity, not just economically, but socially as well. It's a really nice change because the, the environmental stuff is, in a sense, it's so obvious, it's so important. But I think what's fascinating and having you here, Claire, is really interesting to me. It's It's the opportunity for change, fundamental change in the way in which people expect to work and live and do business. And that's incredibly powerful, so I find it very exciting. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, if I look at Scotwind, um, the volume that's been leased through Scotwind is huge. I think something, almost 18 gigawatts of floating wind alone. Uh, and it's a massive opportunity for Scotland and the wider UK economy, but also communities. If we look at some of the green ports and free ports that have been announced over the last uh, several months, those create huge opportunities to capture this new technology, anchor the supply chain, anchor the high quality jobs and the long term jobs in the UK. Um, and that's, again, across all areas uh, of activity. It's not just engineers. We need everything to build that supply chain. We need to build that skills base. But the opportunity is huge. And in the same way that wherever you go around the world, where the subsea oil and gas, you'll hear Aberdeen accents. I want to hear English and Scottish being spoken and Welsh uh, wherever you see floating wind being deployed around the world because the UK, starting in Scotland, has made itself the global centre of expertise. Um, It creates so much opportunity for transitioning out of oil and gas and other technologies into wind power and then from there into other renewables. I think it's a huge opportunity Um, And it's great to see the industry, uh, Scottish government, Westminster government and others meaningfully taking action to try and capture that opportunity. And the Welsh government, of course, with a leasing round coming up in the Celtic Sea um, in the next few months. I mean, I think that is definitely one of the things that is most interesting about the potential for Scotland. As as you say, it's this transition, these new opportunities, these new industries that can create prosperity for people that they might not perhaps have expected. 
and in new and unexpected ways that may travel. Yeah, uh, and for me, uh, a great little uh, tick in the box, as it were, is that I, I sit on the board of the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult. And where are we holding our next strategy day? Aberdeen. What a great place to be to be talking about uh, future energy uh, deployment around the shores of the UK. Very exciting. No, it sounds amazing. So, I mean, I think we can. this is quite a good place for us to r- round up. Um, I think what's very clear is, as we have said, there's a huge opportunity here, but it's incredibly important to bring people along and be that from other industries, from young people. You know, if there's anything you would want to say to the audience, what would it be? Claire, can I start with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to talk about young people. I'm sorry, it's, they're absolutely my passion and I truly believe in them. Um, and the one thing that I always take away whenever I go to a youth zone, no matter how full I might be feeling with work or preoccupied or stressed or busy, you know, all, all of those kind of things. The one thing that I'm always struck with when I go into a youth zone on a when a session's on and there's you know maybe 100, 200 young people and it's the absolute energy that comes from them. And they're, they're just absolutely buzzing with creativity and ideas and there's so much potential inside every single young person, which isn't always then having an outlet to, to go somewhere and, and being channeled positively in a way that supports young people as, as they grow older. Um, and any way that we can use that and support them to develop their potential, whilst also, you know, where they've got values around environmental agendas and the renewable sector, you know, there, there, there could be outlets in that way or, or other directions as well just to do more with young people and to support them to really, truly succeed and achieve their potential. It's such an exciting place to be working, building out renewable energy around the UK. I really hope that we can continue to inspire. You know, we at, we at Orsted are really excited and, and frankly, we are a bit proud of the work we do with communities uh, like we have done in Grimsby and we continue to do there and elsewhere uh, where we're currently operating. Scotland is such a massive opportunity to scale that up across Scotland and across the UK. It's a huge scale of deployment, billions of pounds of investment. Let's make sure that we use some of the energy that we've got around this to bring um, young people and people from other sectors into the exciting world of renewables. I'm super excited about the potential that Scotwind has delivered uh, for decarbonising, but it's also got huge potential to bring uh, great benefits to communities Uh, right across the UK. I think that's a really lovely point to leave it on for this, the second episode of season two of Giga Waters. Thank you, Benj and Claire, for joining me today. It was a great chat and I'm really looking forward to our next conversations. To our listeners, if you'd like to share your thoughts about what's been discussed today, you can find us on social media or drop us an email at outloud at energyvoice.com. Don't forget to tune in to Energy Voice's weekly podcast episode where the Energy Voice team discuss the latest goings-on in the energy sector, ranging from oil and gas to renewables. If you're yet to do so, please do subscribe free to Energy Voice Out Loud on your podcast app and listen out for more episodes of Gigawaters going live soon. I'm Felicia Jackson. Thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector.
Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.